again, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can take a few Bible. Uh, turn to page uh, 809. I believe I wrote that down right. If I didn't, somebody just shout out, no, it's this. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Well, in this passage, we see Jesus call the very first four of his twelve disciples. If you were to read chapter one of the Gospel of John, you would see that uh, Jesus had known these four for about a year. This is not his first encounter with them. They had known Jesus savingly for uh, about a year. Okay? In our text today, we see Jesus issue a special call to follow me, to follow him. No longer... No longer were they just to have a casual relationship with Jesus. They were to follow Him. A call to salvation has already come, and now there's this call to, to follow me. We, we may have this idea that what we see here is a unique call just for these four guys. Well, sure, Jesus would call these guys. They're the disciples. He, he would call them, no doubt. They're unique. These four were... Being called to, to unique service, we may think. They were, they were called to follow Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is not a unique call for just a few Christians. It's a call for those men, women, boys, and girls who've trusted in Christ. It's not a call for those men and women we see in the Bible. Those who trust in Jesus, those who profess Jesus as Savior, are also those who are to have Jesus as Lord of their life. They, they are disciples. They follow Jesus. This passage has a direct application, listen, for all who profess Jesus. This is not unique to these guys or people in the Bible. This is a call for all Christians. It's interesting to note that the, the very first followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians. They didn't do that. The name Christian was not a name they chose for themselves. The term was actually used by people outside of the Christian faith. It was a belittling, it was a mocking term. So to be called a Christian by someone outside of the faith was not a they weren't being nice. They, they were mocking and belittling. The name Christian actually means little Christ. Just a bunch of little Jesuses running around. That's who you guys are. It was, it was a mocking term. Well, you, you may be thinking, well, if they didn't call themselves Christians, what did they call themselves? Well, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we find the answer. You've got to look carefully, but it's there. Uh, reading verse 25 first. So Barnabas went to... Uh, Tarsus to talk to Saul, the Apostle Paul. And when he found him, he, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It was in Antioch that people started referring to disciples of Jesus as Christians. They weren't known as Christians until in the city of Antioch they began to be called Christians. Prior to that, they were called what? Disciples. They, they didn't call themselves Christians. According to Acts 11.26, that's how they referred to themselves. Consider this. 
This is very interesting. The word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. The word disciple, depending on which translation you use, is used between 269 times, 269 to 290 times in the New Testament. Man, that's a big difference, right? Three versus 290. Quoting a, a well-known pastor, hear what he says. I want to suggest to you that in changing the primary word that we use to describe ourselves, we lost the clarity that the word disciple conveyed about what a follower of Jesus actually is. You hear what he said? When we changed our name to Christian, we lost a clear understanding of what it is we are actually to be. The word disciple is a very clear indicator of what a person actually becomes when they choose to believe in Jesus. Now in Matthew, our text today, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we see the calling of these first disciples and we see clearly what a disciple was and how, if you will, a Christian saw themselves. Again, if I, if I refer, you don't have a handout today, and that's my fault. So if you hear me say, look at your handout, you just ignore me, okay? All right? Ignore me when I tell you to look at your handout. No other time. Just, that's the only time you get to know the preacher today when he says, look at your handout, okay? All right. So, main idea today is obeying Jesus' command to follow me. That's pretty simple. Obeying Jesus' command to follow me. Verse 18. We've outlined it this way. Those Jesus chose. Those Jesus chose. Verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter and Andrew, his brother. And here's what's going on. They were casting their nets into the sea. And this is rather simple. Why were they doing that? They were fishermen. That makes sense, right? That'd be the only reason you'd be doing it. You are a fisherman. If you are a Christian here today, you are so because of God's grace and nothing else. Just as God chose His people in the Old Testament, so Jesus chose His disciples in the New Testament. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. These disciples didn't come to Jesus. He came to them. The choice was not because of anything in them. It was because of the grace of Jesus. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says that God is no respecter of persons. Now that doesn't mean that He doesn't care about people. That's not what that verse is talking about. Instead, it means that God doesn't look at people the same way we do. Let me say that again. God's not a respecter of persons. He does not look at people the same way you and I do. Let that sink in. These guys here... They are the last people in the world that we would have expected Jesus to choose to be those He would use to build His church upon. We would never have went to these guys and said, You're the ones. They're the last people in the world. In, verses eight, in verse 18 and verse 21, we see that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee when He sees two sets of brothers. Where did He meet them? He met them in Galilee. Not in Jerusalem, not in the court of Herod, not in the schools of the rabbis and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He found them in Galilee. Galilee was a place of obscurity, insignificance. 
In other words, you wouldn't go to Galilee to be looking for people to, to do a work of advancing the, the gospel throughout the, the world. This is, you wouldn't go to Galilee to look for people to do this. And we see that both sets of brothers were doing the work of fishermen. They, they're not educated men. Now, it doesn't mean they were unintelligent. Listen to me. If you haven't been to college, I know a lot of people who haven't been to college are a lot smarter than some who have been. I know some people who've got degrees. they got more degrees than they have names. And they can't get out of the bed in the morning without somebody helping them. It's just kind of like, you know, they ain't got, they ain't got any common sense. It simply means that they were not those who were receiving the, the higher education of the courts of the Pharisees. They, they weren't in that group. They were, they were not particularly learned men in the eyes of the world. They were men of limited means. They weren't necessarily poor, but they weren't wealthy either. They were men from an obscure background. They were men of very humble state. They were simple men just going about their business, and they were the ones that Jesus would call to be His first disciples. Simple men, not from fame or reputation. They weren't well known to simple people called into service for King Jesus. Stop thinking about that. You've got the Creator of the world, God Himself, coming to these nobodies. But they come nobodies for Jesus. They're going to be the ones that Jesus will build a foundation of the church upon that will turn the world upside down. Fishermen. Now, listen, I don't say all this to shame these men, not to put them down. The reality is that it's not just them, but it's us in this room that's in that same category. None of us have anything in us that would draw Jesus to us. I hate to bust your bubble. But there ain't nothing in you that would cause Jesus to want to come to you. We are sinners. We're rebels against God. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes to us, He calls our name, and He chooses us when He saves us to do His work. Uh, John MacArthur, which I have a great deal of respect for. John MacArthur, for those of you who don't know, is a pastor of Grace Community Church in California. He's been the pastor of that church for almost 50 years. <clears throat> Here's what he says. God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful men were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. You get the picture? <clears throat> you know, I hear, I hear this a lot, and I understand what I'm about to say. I'm not saying it's a negative, but maybe I am. Have you ever heard someone say, if only Michael Jordan was a Christian, if only Blake Shelton got saved, if only... You fill in the blank. If only these type of people were to be born again, man, God could really reach people with these, these kind of people, right? You ever heard somebody say that? I have. Man, if, just imagine if this great sports person were to get saved, how, man, God could really use him to, to bring people to Jesus. Now, is that true? Well, sure. 
God calls those people to, to salvation. But, you know, I hear people say, God can really, He can really, God can really do His thing if He just had some more people like this. What an impact these famous people would have on the kingdom of God. Is that who Jesus chose when He came to Galilee? Jesus chose the ordinary because His work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for Him, but from what He would do through them. So there's a big difference, folks. He didn't choose them because of the abilities, but He chose them because of what He would do through them. People with a lot of talent and ability would only get in the way because they would never learn to lean on the power of Jesus. Jesus taught that His power in the weakest person was much greater than the greatest talent without Him. Did you get that? Jesus taught that His power in the weakest person was much greater than the greatest talent without Him. Now hear me this morning. Are you listening? Hear me, farmer. Hear me, school teacher. Stay-at-home mom. Retired person, construction worker, utility worker, nanny, babysitter, law enforcement officer, truck driver, factory worker, office worker. God wants to use you and your family at your workplace and at your school the same way He called these guys here. We have to stop making excuses that we are not able, we are not qualified. Jesus doesn't need your ability. You've heard this, right? He only needs your what? Availability. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips those He calls. Now here's my question. Have you made yourself available, Christian, disciple? Have you made yourself available? Most of us in this room, all of us are just ordinary Joes, right? Sorry, Joe. We are, right? I doubt very seriously anybody's going to write a book about any of us when we're gone. If they do, that'd be great. I'd read it. But it's not, it's not likely, is it? We're just common, ordinary folk. And that's who Jesus chose here. That's who Jesus called to be His followers, to be His disciples. And listen, these guys would turn the world upside down for Jesus. Because of their abilities? No, but because of the one they followed working through them. Look at verse 19. Here's the call of Jesus to His disciples. And He said to them, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, His call to the disciples has two parts. He calls them to follow Him, and then He calls them to be what? Fishers of men. First, they were, they were called to follow. The primary call of a Christian, a disciple, and listen, in case you haven't figured it out, those are one and the same. All right? There aren't Christians and there aren't disciples. It's one and the same. The New Testament knows nothing of a person claiming to follow Jesus and not being a disciple. A Christian, a disciple is a follower. That is the main thing Christians do. They follow Jesus. Let me say that again. That's the main thing that Christians do. They, they follow Jesus. What's the main thing that Christians do, church? They follow Jesus. That ain't hard, is it? Pay careful attention to what Jesus said. Two words. Follow who? Me. Jesus didn't tell where they were going 
to go or what they were going to do, the first and foremost thing a Christian does, a disciple does, is follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to be, listen, are you listening? To be a Christian, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus is to be like Jesus. You can't be a Christian and not be a follower. To follow Jesus means you have to know Him and listen and become like Him. Not a God, but a follower of Jesus. You can't be a Christian and not be a follower. To follow Jesus means you have to know Him and become like Him. And to know Him, you have to do what? Spend time with Him. You become what you behold. That's a scary thought, isn't it? We become what we behold. Notice there, follow me. Not other people. Although other Christians should be examples, right? This is yes, church. They should be examples. But Jesus says, don't follow someone else, but what? Follow me. Not other people who are unsaved. Follow me. Verse 19 says, follow the Savior. Me. Follow the Savior. Follow the King of the world. Follow the Creator. Follow the righteous judge of the entire world. I don't know about you, but we were to get in line for that, right? Jesus says, follow me. Everything is different when you meet Jesus. The Bible says we become disciples. You become a follower of Jesus. Everything changes. Not all at once. No. It's, it's a process, right? But something happens when a person comes to Jesus. Man, God transforms their heart. Their life changes. Everything is different when you meet Jesus. You become a follower. You follow Jesus. That's why we know people who say with their mouth that they are Christians, but their lives look just like the rest of the world, right? That's why that is. There, there are many people who say, yes, I'm a Christian. I, I, I prayed a prayer. I, I accepted Jesus in my heart. However, their lives don't look anything different. They, they say they're Christians, but there's no evidence that they've ever met Jesus. Christians are disciples, and disciples do what? They follow Jesus. When a person comes to Jesus, everything changes. Will we do that perfectly? No. If we're perfectly honest, some of us have been Christians or disciples for a long time, right? And we still ain't got it right. And we won't get it right until Jesus comes. But we're still trying. We're still pursuing Him. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after me, listen, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, that is not complicated. If anyone would come after me, when someone comes to me, when someone hears my call to salvation, they come after me, what does it say he's supposed to do? Uh, I, sometime this week, uh, I was on Facebook and I saw a, a post on there. Um, it was a contrasting thing between John MacArthur and Paula White. Y'all know who Paula White is? That's probably a good thing that you don't know who Paula White is. Um, I'm not going to say anything. If you can read my mind, just read my mind about what I'm thinking about Paula White. It's not very good, okay? She's in the realm of Christianity, but I'll just leave that alone. And that, the, the, the caption over her, head said, over her head said, Anyone who says you must deny yourself is a heretic. 
John MacArthur's picture is under here. You know what's under his picture? This verse right here. Apparently, Paul has not read her Bible. Apparently, there's a lot of Christians who have not read their Bible. If anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's where following Jesus starts. In a world where everything revolves around me, Jesus says what? Deny yourself. The first part of Jesus' call is to follow me. And that's not as complicated as, as we would like to make it. Jesus says, follow me. The second part of Jesus' call kind of gets into what we're talking about, this who's your one. The second part of Jesus' call is, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was a fisher of men, so his followers would become what? It's not hard. Fishers of men. Jesus fished for men, so people who follow Jesus, what do they do? They fish for men. This is a fundamental part of being a disciple. It's not something that only a few of us do. It's something that each of us does. There's no such thing as a non-fisher of men Christian. Notice that Jesus says, I will make. In other words, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to enable you to spread the message of the gospel. What's got to happen before that takes place? What's the first two words? Follow me. The enabling to do this mission comes from Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 4. A very important verse. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Again, Jesus is always clear, right? You want to bear fruit in bringing people to Jesus? you got to abide in me. Because branches don't bear fruit by themselves unless it abides in the vine. There's, there's no way we can carry out the Great Commission, Jesus says. But he says, I'll enable you. Just as with fishing, someone taught you how to fish, right? John, somebody teach you how to fish. You just wake up one day and go to the river and come back with a string of nothing. How many of y'all fish? Did somebody teach y'all how to fish? Awesome. Yeah, My daddy tried to teach me. Finally, he said, Gary, you can't stay shut up long enough. You can't catch anything. Now, as a little boy, things were different. I never shut up. I never sat still. He says, you'll never catch it. He tried to teach me. Just wasn't that. Someone taught you how to fish. You, you were taught to pull fish out of the water. Jesus says, I'm going to make you fish for men. I'm going to make you into men who pull others out of the sea of sin. But in order to do that, you got to what? Follow me. You see, there's far more to being a Christian than just getting fire insurance, right? Jesus never intended to call people to salvation just so they could continue with life as usual and wait for heaven. Jesus called us to do what? Follow Him. Be His disciples. He calls people to be followers, to those who act like Him, to be those who live holy, passionate lives for Him, to be those who seek to bring others into the kingdom. You see, that's the mission of the church. That's our mission here at Redbud. To glorify God 
Worship God by following Jesus and by bringing others to Him and teaching them to follow Him. That, that's the Great Commission. Go make what? Did it say go make converts? It said make disciples. Now, they've got to be converted before they can be a disciple, but Jesus said make disciples. That's the mission of the church. There is nothing else in Scripture. Listen, this is not complicated. You're not allowed to complicate this. There is nothing else in Scripture that the church is called to do. But make disciples. Follow Jesus. That must be the focus and the desire of everyone who professes Jesus. Everything we do as a church must revolve around following Jesus. You want to know how we know what to do and what not to do? If we want to do something, we say, well, this calls us to follow Jesus. And if the answer to that's no, then we go. But if this will cause us to follow Jesus and bring people into the kingdom, what do we do? We want to do that, right? Verses 20 and following. Notice the commitment of the disciples. The commitment of the disciples. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Verse 20. Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, what's the next word? Immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. <clears throat> Jesus called the disciples, and what they do? Immediately they left their nets and they, what? Followed they drop everything to follow Jesus. Now, stay with me here. Don't check out, because I know what some people's thinking. Oh, I've heard this before. You've got to leave it all behind to follow Jesus. Just, just stay with me. Don't check out here. We see in verse 22 that James and John immediately left their boat. But what else did they leave? This was a family business. Who'd they leave in the boat? They left the boat, the fishing business, and their father to do what? Follow Jesus. The call to follow is a call to make Jesus your absolute priority. That's what's going on here. Stay with me. Don't check out. I know where he's going. We've got we to give everything away in order to follow Jesus. The point here is that Jesus becomes the priority. And whatever may be necessary for Jesus to become the priority, that's what we put aside. In the Gospel of John, as I said earlier, we learned that Jesus had known these men for about a year. These men had, had come to Christ. They believed in Jesus for, for at least a year. But now Jesus gives a call to these men to leave their vocations, leave their families, and follow Him as their priority. Follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. You don't follow me, and you're what? You're not going to fish for me, and you, you won't be disciples. Now, let me stop here. Consider this. Do you think these men had a great passion for lost people? I doubt it. Then why did they follow Jesus? You want to know how to get a passion for lost people? Try obeying to start with. That's where it all begins. Just be obedient. 
Again, quoting John MacArthur, he says, Obedience is the spark that lights the fire of passion. When a person is born again, Jesus calls them to being a disciple. He calls them to discipleship. Everything now must be transferred over to Jesus as Lord. Billy Graham. Is there anybody in the room that does not know Billy Graham? Everybody knows Billy Graham, right? We'll quote Billy Graham all the time. Listen to what Billy Graham says. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. Some of us go, well, I ain't, I ain't quoting Billy no more. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. Here's the question I asked myself this week, and I'll ask you. Have we realized this? Have you come to understand that when you come to Jesus, doing so meant leaving your own agenda, your own priorities, and your own desire to keep one foot in the world? That wasn't what Jesus said when He called you out of the sea of sin and called you to follow Him. And see, it also means that church attendance, uh, there's more to being a Christian than church attendance or a casual association. Jesus, He requires that we be in a position to leave all for Him. And myself included, I don't know that we've realized that. Have we responded to this call, discipleship, to follow Jesus? Have you and I been willing to say, Lord, we'll be your disciples no matter what it costs us? Now again, don't get all squirmy on the pew thinking the preacher's going to tell me i got to leave it all behind in order to follow Jesus. I'm saved, but that's not what we're saying here. Maybe that means that you're in the midst of a secure, comfortable life. You're surrounded by your family and your friends. And, and God is working on your heart and calling you into service to go to the mission field. Maybe. You don't do that for everybody, Right? You know, that'll be a prayer in our heart as a church. God, would you raise somebody up from among us to send them to the nations? Man, wouldn't that be great if one of these little fellows, little girls running around here got saved one day and God called them to go to the unreached peoples of the world? Some of you mamas and grandmas and grandpas are going, no, I don't think God like that idea. I remember as being young in church, the missionaries would always come to the church where we were at and they'd always give these... Of displays and man, people just be like, Oh, yeah. And you say something to mom and dad about going to the mission field. No, no, that's, that's good for them, but not for you, right? God may be working in somebody's life to do that. Are, are you ready to walk the way of a disciple? Are you ready to say, Lord, I'll leave my boat, my nets, and I'll follow? Maybe Jesus is not calling you from where you are now, and you're going, got another option, right? Maybe He's not calling you from where you are now. Maybe He's calling you to continue to be a stay-at-home mom, a utility worker, a farmer, a teacher, a retiree, an office worker. Whatever it may be, God is saying, right here is where you are to be. Follow me right here. Hey, it's the same thing as going to an unreached people group far away. It's the same thing. Well, those people that have gone over there might disagree with me particularly people in hostile places. Maybe Jesus is not calling you from where you are. 
God's saying right here is where you are to be. Follow me right here and I'll make you a fisher of me. And yet we know that in his saving call on our lives, he expects us to live with and by a totally different set of priorities than we've ever lived before. And it's simple. It's called being a follower, being a disciple. Let me narrow this down to you. Simple. It's called Jesus is my life. Plain and simple. Jesus is my life. Can I do that right where I'm at? Sure. God needs disciples, people who follow Him. Jesus needs disciples everywhere in this world. Right here in Redbud community is a good place as any. Be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus. As a believer, as a member of the local church, listen. We are God's method for reaching this community and for reaching the world. You are to be a disciple who makes disciples. I don't want to do the bait and switch on you here, but if God, by His grace, that one He gives you, they come to know Jesus, right? You know who's responsible to teach them to follow Jesus? You are. Not the preacher, not the deacon. Not the Sunday school teacher. You went into Jesus. That's your responsibility to teach them to follow Jesus. And some of you are going. That scares the daylight out of you, doesn't it? Don't let that intimidate you. Don't say, I can't be a disciple maker. I don't know how. What did Jesus say? Follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. This includes teaching them to follow him. Disciple-making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Disciple-making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Jesus has promised to help you do that. I didn't know how to disciple people. But I read in a book somewhere, you learn by doing now, agreed, I had someone say, well, here might be a good strategy to disciple somebody. I remember when I lived back in Georgia, a good friend of mine, we played football in high school. We both, by God's grace, come to know Jesus. I began attending the church where he was at. And the, the, not the first Sunday, but the next Sunday, he approached me and says, here's what we're going to do. I was a Christian. He says, I'm going to come to your house one Sunday morning. I'm going to bring breakfast. And the next Sunday, you're going to come to my house and bring breakfast. Me and you's going to share life together. We're going to pray together. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're just going to share our lives together. Thank you. Men do those things? I'm telling you, it's the greatest experience I've ever had in my life. I didn't know what discipleship was. I don't think Tim knew. He just knew that, hey, that we're in this together, brother. Let's help one another follow Jesus. Disciple making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus with the help of the Spirit. So here's what I challenge you to do. Identify your one. 
Ask God, if you haven't already done that, to help you identify one person you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring to faith in Jesus this coming year. One person. Now listen, if you bring that one person to Jesus in six months, that don't mean you... I just want to clarify here. You know, I, you know. Sometimes if you don't give everybody the details, they, you know, it's kind of like your kids. If you don't tell them to go to the room, and, and if you tell them to go pick up stuff, you go pick up your shoes. What will they go pick up? Their shoes, and they'll leave what? Everything else on the floor. Well, you didn't tell me to pick those up. If one person comes to Christ in three months, four months, five months, guess what you need to do? I need to find me another one. Can I tell you something? If you share the gospel with somebody and they come to Jesus, it will light a fire in you. You won't be able to stop telling people about Jesus. Identify that one. Ask God to help you find that one person and by His help, bring that person to faith in Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would look like if every believer here this morning did that? And ask God, give me one person I can bring to Jesus. How many of us are there here this morning? And again, children, if you're knowing Jesus, this is for you as well. You know, I know some of the, the kids at the Good News Club, some of them are attenders here in this church. They may not come to saving faith yet in Christ, but they're, they're going around the school every best telling people about Jesus. Small children telling other children about Jesus. Can you imagine what it would look like if every one of us asked God, give us that one person, and we prayed and we sought God, and God worked in their hearts, and by His grace He saved them. What that would look like? You remember on the screen, uh, I think in the United States the population was 328 million, and there were 53 million Christians. Can you imagine if 53 million Christians Disciples, followers of Jesus pursued this and went after one person. And God, by His grace, saw fit to save everyone that He'd given to them. How many people would that be? 53 million. Can God save that many people? Most of us go, God, God would never save that many people. Sure He would. There's 53 million already in the United States. So who is that one person that God has laid on your heart that you can pursue over the next year? And it, and it starts here by following Jesus, following Him, knowing Him. Jesus will put a passion in you for that one person. Following Jesus, being like Jesus. Here's the thing. You can't call someone else to follow Jesus if you ain't following Him yourself. Sorry for the ain't, but it ain't going to happen. We've got to be following Jesus. We've got to be going after Jesus, and Jesus will help us bring that one Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask our musicians if they just come and they just play, okay? I know we got a song to sing, but I'm just going to ask them to come and just play this morning. If you got your little blue card...